The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing. Always working hard to be your source of motivation and education to start or build your own real estate investing business. Today's Q&A day. It's not the last Tuesday of the month. We just sat down just now and figured that out, that there's five Tuesdays in January, and normally we would be uh, doing Q&A on the last Tuesday of the month, but the last Tuesday of the month this month falls the same week as the Cincinnati RIA meeting, so next week we actually have a guest scheduled who's going to talk about 1031 exchanges. So I know it's it's off schedule, but... It'll be fine, everybody. I promise. Sorry, Wednesday of the month. Wow. I You get something to eat, Mike? I think my blood sugar's low or something. I mean, I've been on Wednesdays for get a cookie. 20 years, and I just said Tuesday. Although that would have been fun to try and convince the audience that it was Tuesday. Ah, George ruined it. Anyway, it's question and answer week. And that means that uh, your questions are the topic of the show this evening. There's no, there's no planned out, you know, topic and don't have a guest. And so anything that you would like to know about getting started in real estate, rentals, wholesale, retail, financing, finding deals, whatever you want to know. Give us a call at 877-772-9658. That's 877 Or you can send an email by going to um, realliferealestate.com. There's a, there's a tab there at realliferealestate.com that says ask me a question. And if you go there and fill out the little form, it will come via email. And uh, that is the way a lot of people like to do it if they're sitting at work, you know, not wanting their boss to know they're listening to real life real estate because really they kind of secretly want to quit their jobs. So while we are waiting for our first questions to roll in at 877-772-9658 or alternatively at realliferealestate.com, a couple of quick announcements. The Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati is hosting a one-day workshop this upcoming Saturday for brand new investors. It's all about just the kind of basic stuff that you need to be dealing with if you're trying to buy your first deal, like um, 
where are the deals right now? And how do I handle, how do I handle my real estate business if I also have a full-time job? And do I need an entity right now? Or can I wait until I've done a deal before I start one? And how do I join a mastermind group? So all of those things that brand new investors tend to desperately want to know. And for good reason, it's all good foundational information. You can get more information about this workshop, which is open to the public by going to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's CincinnatiREIA.com and look for the Get Started Right Right Now workshop. It's question and answer week on Real Life Real Estate. 877-772-9658 is the number to call with your questions. Or if you have an email, as did Bill, who is from Boulder, Colorado. My gosh, how alliterative. Uh, you can go. You can uh, send that in by just going to our website at realliferealestate.com, clicking the Ask a Question button and um, sending it on over here. So... Uh, Bill's question is, it's a very common one, and I'm going to I'm going to summarize a little bit because it goes on for three paragraphs. But uh, basically what it says is, I'm, I'm really looking for an advanced investor who will let me shadow them or intern with them for a matter of days or weeks while I'm getting my feet wet. I can't seem to find anyone who will take me up on this offer, even though I am literally willing to work for them for free, even if that means going to get coffee. What am I doing wrong? And Bill, that is a surprisingly common request. I mean, I think any any real estate entrepreneur who's been around for more than five years and and has made it known that they've done any number of deals has probably had someone make the offer that I'm guessing you have probably made to more than one person uh, about just, you know, let me, let me, let me shine your shoes. If I have to just, just let me follow you around and see what you're doing. And I don't always, I think, I think that, I think that the, the person making the request you in this case doesn't always understand what they're really asking. I mean, basically what you're saying to the busy, one assumes full-time investor is let me interrupt your daily schedule by being in your space and having you find things for me to do. And let me find out from you without paying you um, how to become your competitor. <laughs> let me let me have access to the the deals you're seeing. Let me have access, you know, potentially to buyers if you're a wholesaler or to your contractors if you're a, a retailer or to your property manager, your finance people. And 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 I as the as the new investor uh, feel like the trade of my free time it should be valuable enough to you to do all of these things. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or dismissive bill here, here, bill, but if someone does that for you, it's not because it's a fair trade. It's not because your potentially unskilled labor is worth the amount of information they would be giving you, uh, nor is your, 
uh, volunteering to come in and, and do stuff, uh, fair payment for the fact that you're, you're literally going to be interrupting their day. So the reason you're having a hard time finding people to take you up on this is that to the typical um, advanced investor, that's something they would do for for a family member. It's something they would do for somebody they really liked. It's not something something that they would do uh, for a stranger who was trying to become a competitor. So I hope I hope you have a little bit of a better understanding of why it doesn't sound as good to them as it does to you. Um, and what you need to what you need to do is well, a you could you could pay for what you're looking for. I mean, you're looking for somebody to give you a lot of ideas about how to um, do real estate, and there's lots of education available on that topic. Or you could really uh, befriend someone uh, who then might let you might let you do what you want to do. So. Uh, thank you for the question, Bill. Gave me an opportunity to mention something that a lot of people ask about, but I don't actually think we've gotten the question here on Real Life Real Estate before. You're listening to Question and Answer Week, 877-772-9658 is the number here in the studio. You can also send us a question by going to our website, realliferealestate.com. We'll be back right after this. Ooh. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Uh, you can give us a call with any questions that you have at 877-772-9658. Let me say that again, because that seemed like a lot of sevens when I said it just now. 877-772-9658 is the number to call. You can also send questions via email. Just go to the website at realliferealestate.com. Click the Ask a Question button and fill out the form there. It's often helpful to uh, let me know where you are writing from uh, in case there are questions that uh, might have something to do with the specific state in which you live or an answer that would have to do with the specific state in which you live. Uh, let us go back to the email inbox here and answer a question uh, from, uh, let's see, that one's going to, I'm going to have to read that one during the break. That's a pretty long question. Um, let's, t let's uh, look at, okay, Chris from Northern Kentucky. Uh, Chris's question is, do you have any secret tips about how I can get good contractors who are going to show who are going to show up who are going to do the work who are appropriately licensed and insured but who do not want to charge an arm and a leg <laughs> the answer chris is yes i do have i do have a tip where you can get cheap excellent contractors who do the job fast on time right all of that stuff get in a time machine and go back to 2009 because at the moment contractors are pretty much fully employed they they pretty much have lists of people who are looking for their services and uh, even folks that I have been using for years and years are uh, telling me that they can't get to my jobs for, you know, three weeks, six weeks, two months. 
and that's that's like a roofing job that's like a like a one day or two day job uh, it is what it is and you better just be planning on buying your properties accordingly Chris because um, you know supply and demand you can try and regulate the market as much as you want but the reality is supply and demand it's always always going to come down to that and right now there is an undersupply of contractors and there is a lot of demand on their time so uh, you know obviously you want to find the the folks who are um, charging prices that you as another business person can't afford to pay but don't expect that to be rock bottom prices and uh, very much appreciate your uh, your question Chris it's a real life real estate investing question and answer week so there's just no there's just no uh, topic other than any questions that you might have. Um, the way to ask those questions is to call 877-772-9658 or you can, you can send them in via email. Just go to our website, realliferealestate.com and uh, you can ask the question that way. Uh, have a question here from Lonnie in Indianapolis. This is interesting because I had a really similar question to this yesterday at a at a RIA subgroup meeting. And um, I don't think I've been asked this question three times in 20 years and I've been asked it two times in two days. Uh, Lonnie says, I am in contract to buy a four family. It has two two bedrooms upstairs and two one bedrooms downstairs and it has all hardwood floors. I am concerned about the larger units upstairs being noisy to the tenants downstairs if they have children in them. Can I refuse to rent to children as long as I refuse to rent to them across the board? (laughs) The answer there, Lonnie, is absolutely not. You cannot, and, 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 and I get it. I get what you're thinking. You're thinking, my downstairs tenants are going to be miserable and move because hardwood floors, patter of little feet, loud. And unfortunately, um, you cannot, you cannot for any economic (laughs) reason uh, say no children allowed. Uh, Families, familial status is a protected class and that is a federally protected class, not just one in Indianapolis and what that means is you don't get to decide what the what the family makeup of the folks living in those units are so um, you know you're going to be able to you're going to be able to screen folks uh, across the board exactly the same way all of them whether they have children or not you're going to be able to turn people down for all the same reasons that involve credit and lack of income and stuff like that, but you are not going to be able to say no tenants and you're or no children, and you're not going to be able to say, "I will accept children on the first floor, but not on the second floor," because that's just not how it works. So, I am quite certain that was not the answer that you wanted to hear, but that is the answer that exists. You might want to look into some soundproofing measures. Uh, because you are right, you're going to get a lot of complaints on your first floor about noise. Really, no matter whether there's kids upstairs or not. I was in a I was in a hotel a couple of nights ago that was apparently an older hotel with wood floors, and somebody was walking around over 
head all night long and I could, it was so loud and those floors were not carpeted. So you might want to look at carpeting. You might want to put, look at putting some insulation in between the floors because uh, it's, it's just going to be an issue. But I do thank you for your question, Lonnie, and um, I'm looking forward to your questions, listeners, at 877-772-9658 or via our website, realliferealestate.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it is question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate. Um, Always is, almost always is, on the last Wednesday of the month. Uh, If you're in the greater Cincinnati area, you might want to go ahead and get out your calendar or your phone or however you remind yourself to do things and mark down that you want to be at the February 2nd meeting of the Real Estate Investors Association of Greater Cincinnati. Uh, we have an out-of-town out of guest coming to speak. It is Joe Varnador, who was a guest here on the show last week. Uh, he's going to talk about the note buying and selling business. And uh, since he's coming all the way from Florida to do it, and since he doesn't get up here all that often, might be a good meeting for you to get to. And what's even cooler about it is that the early meeting from 6 to 7 is going to be a note marketplace. What does that mean? It means that um, members of Cincinnati Rio will be able to get up and offer notes for sale if they have if they have those that they would uh, like to sell uh, all of or a partial on. And uh, that's, it's, a, it's just going to be a cool thing to watch. If you, don't, if you don't have a note to sell, you might want to buy one. If you don't want to buy one, it's just interesting to watch and see how notes are valued and you know how do you offer them for sale and things like that. So uh, that meeting is a guest night which means it is open to everyone and you can download a free guest pass at cincinnatirea.com. That is cincinnatirea.com. Okay, just got a question from Jeffrey in Cincinnati via email. He went to realliferealestate.com. He filled out the question and answer box. And now I can read you his question, just like you should be doing right now. Uh, I got a call from a seller who thinks she doesn't own any rental properties anymore because she declared bankruptcy years ago and hasn't subsequently spoken to her attorney. Her lenders never foreclosed and she apparently does still own them. How should I explain this to her and go about buying these? Again, Jeff, weirdly common question. Um, so so let me explain to you and to the audience what has happened here because it sounds like she doesn't understand and maybe you only partly understand. This lady owned rentals. The rentals were mortgaged. She stopped paying the mortgages and at some point declared bankruptcy and probably did what is called surrendering the property. So she she just she told the bankruptcy court, I don't want them. I can't afford them. Let the bank take them. The bank then, I assume that uh, you don't say so, but I assume that her uh, bankruptcy was then successfully completed. And the bank never bothered after the bankruptcy was over to uh, foreclose on properties that may now have not had payments made in years. 
she no longer owes any money to the bank, assuming she did a Chapter 7, which I I think if it was anything else, (laughs) they would have bothered to foreclose. Or she would have been making payments as part of a payment plan. Um, she doesn't owe them any money. Uh, what the bankruptcy did was it said it, it, it discharged her of that debt. So the note is gone. The mortgages, however, as you have discovered, are still in place. Now, it, there, there is a possibility, and you should, you should probably call her back and check with her. There is a possibility the bank actually sent her mortgage releases because if they really, really, really didn't want those properties... Uh, they they may have just released the mortgage, mailed her a mortgage release, and she they may be in her files somewhere. It is just as likely, though, that the bank just never took any further action, and nor will they. So this is this is what I'm going to direct you to do because you, you understand that the bank could still file foreclosure at any moment. They could still take these properties back. What they cannot do is they cannot go after her for any deficiency judgment. I'm going to direct you to go to our podcast, which you can um, you can you can see all the past episodes at realliferealestate.com, and search for Joe Lucas, guest Joe Lucas, or the title Zombie Properties, because we actually had an attorney on this show last year who talked about having folks in the situation that your seller is in simply deed you the properties. And then you go to go to the local court and you file what's called a quiet title action. And what the quiet title action does is it notifies all of the creditors, and that would be the bank plus probably if she hasn't if she hasn't paid the mortgage payment in a few years, I bet she hasn't paid the tax payment in a few years either. Uh, notifies all of the creditors that y- you are looking to. Um, clear the title and if they believe that they have any interests that they want to enforce they should step forward and do that according to joe most lenders who have let a let payments lapse for years and have a bankrupt seller will not even respond to that quiet title notice now that you cannot make the taxes go away so you'd better you'd better be certain that you actually want these properties that the tax bill, the outstanding tax bill is not more than you would want to pay for them and that you're okay with spending another, probably, depending on where you are, probably one to $2,000 on a quiet title action. Now, you need to explain to this lady what's happening here. If she had not declared bankruptcy already, I would be warning you that even if the bank doesn't respond to the quiet title action and the mortgages go away and you end up owning the properties free and clear, that doesn't mean the bank couldn't go after their borrower for the money. They can't go after them for the property anymore, but they could go after them for the money. But she has already solved that problem by declaring bankruptcy. So go listen to that. There's a whole show on this on the podcast at realliferealestate.com. Check that out. Listen to Joe Lucas's much more... um, professional legal opinion on how all of this works and then see how you want to go forward. But something to check is, did the bank already release the mortgage? And and I I have also seen it happen that the bank releases the mortgage, but instead of sending their borrower the mortgage release, they send the borrower a letter that says we are releasing the mortgage and they just go and file the mortgage release. So as always, you need to uh, get a title search done. 
and make sure you know what all you are dealing with here because it, it could be more than just these mortgages. I just had, like literally yesterday, a situation kind of similar to what you're talking about. Uh, the, the seller had not declared bankruptcy, but she has not made a payment on her house since 2009. I mean, it's been a really long time. And we were all set to do what I just described to you. She she was ready to sign the house over. We had already looked at it. We knew I mean, it had about $20,000 in back taxes on it. We knew we would be willing to pay the twenty, but not the 20 plus another 25 for a delinquent mortgage. And we literally had gotten to the point of starting the title search on the house and the title company came back with the report that that bank that has neglected for what eight years to file a foreclosure filed it on monday so we were like we were we were thinking ah this is you know this is exactly what we've been waiting for and she was all in agreement and um we were all set to go and then the bank suddenly woke up after eight years and filed the foreclosure so that's another thing to check uh see if the foreclosure has in fact been filed because uh, you may find that they're not as asleep as you think they are. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. So that's obviously got listeners with a wide variety of questions on a wide variety of topics. And uh, you should probably get yours in because it's a great opportunity to do that that comes along once a month. 877-772-9658 if you'd like to call in your question about any aspect of getting started or getting to the next level in your real estate investing business. Uh, you can also simply send an email, go to askvina at gmail.com. Um, another question that j just, uh, uh, another question that just came in via the website. Uh, this one is unsigned. Interesting. Okay. Um, question. One of my tenants wants to buy a house they're currently renting from me. Although I hadn't given them a lease option initially, they have paid well and they believe they have okay credit, but have virtually nothing to put down. I would like to sell the house to them and exchange my profit if I could. How could I accomplish this in a creatively in a way that an FHA lender would accept? Well, um, I'm, I'm kind of getting a mixed message here from your question. I sort of, I sort of think maybe your tenants have just said, "Hey, we think we can buy this house," but at the same time, you said something. You said something about an option, and I, I don't know if maybe what you're saying is they need some more time. So let's find that out first, okay? Uh, send the tenants to an FHA mortgage broker to someone who has hopefully lengthy experience getting first time home buyers approved for loans because um somebody somebody who is really in that business as opposed to the more straightforward conventional 10% down got to have a 760 credit score type loans is going to do a better job of predicting for you whether that tenant is actually going to be able to qualify for a, a loan. The question that you actually did ask, which is they've got no money down and yet FHA requires at least a 3.5% down payment. 
Uh, how do we creatively do this in a way in which FHA would accept? Um, I think what's going to need to happen here is if, if they can't come up with the money and they can't borrow it in a way, you know, for family member gifts uh, are, I think, acceptable to FHA, then you may actually have to put off selling them the property for a little while and you could probably help them sort of save up that down payment by letting them pay into into like a um, sign, sign a lease option with them. Right now you've got a lease, sign a lease option and let them pay maybe a hundred extra dollars a month for toward their option fee. And when that builds up to the right size, uh, and again, talk to the FHA mortgage broker about this, but when that when that account builds up to the right size, you should be able to use it as down payment. In order to completely explore all of your options, you need to talk to somebody who works with FHA a lot because, man, those rules change all the time. I can't keep track of them. I mean, sometimes it's okay for it's okay for the seller to participate. Sometimes they withdraw that. Sometimes the uh, if a family member gives them the money, not loans it, but gives it, uh, they can use that money. So, and sometimes there's programs available for grant money. So, talk to someone who is very very familiar uh, with FHA and all of its ins and outs and does those loans all the time, and they can probably give you. Uh, some really good guidance about how to uh, proceed with that. Uh, Real Life Real Estate Investing, it's question and answer week. Uh, We're going to take one more break and then we're going to come back and answer more questions that have come in via email, via our website at uh, realliferealestate.com and also your questions at 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week. So just getting all kinds of questions on so many topics, and that's great. You can call yours in at 877-772-9658. You can also go to our website, realliferealestate.com, and send a question in that way. And you can, you can by the way, do that... You can do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We, you know, probably won't get to the answer until it's question and answer week. But if you have a question that you kind of all of a sudden have and you just want to get it out of the way and know that it'll get answered eventually, uh, you can always send questions through that site. Also, uh, on that site, you will find the programs going back several years. I, I I go places to go to, you know, talk to other RIA groups in the country sometimes. And people come to me and say, I just found your podcast and I've been listening to you for 200 straight hours. And their eyes are all bloodshot and they look crazy. And I feel stalked, but it's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good interviews on there from uh, folks going back several years. So if you have, uh, you have some time in the car and you just want to download those, that's also at realliferealestate.com. A question here from Angela in Atlanta. <laughs> For real, this is just a literative. This is just a literative name night. Uh, she says, "Hi, Vina. I've heard for some areas of real estate, you shouldn't put that you're the owner on your business card. What are some good titles to use?" Uh, also, you mentioned creating a business entity. Can you talk about at what point that's most appropriate and other things real estate entrepreneurs need to do as they set up a business, including 
uh, business card, mail, phone number, things like that. Okay, so um, two different questions. Uh, the, the, the thing that you have probably heard about not putting owner on your business card isn't really so much about your business card as it is about who you want to know that you're the decision maker. And specifically, what a lot of people will tell you is don't let your tenants know that you own the property. Now, if you have the property in your own name, it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of a done deal. They know you own the property. They can look you up on in the public record. But if you have, if you have the properties owned in an entity and then you say, I am the owner, uh, that puts you in a position where a number of things could happen that could range from irritating to scary. The scariest thing that ever happened to me, because my one of my tenants knew that I was the owner, was that um, after three-day notice day, so that's, you know, the fifth of the month, we go around and put three-day notices on everybody's door who hasn't paid, uh, someone started beating on the door at my home at 11 p.m., and I mean beating like police knock. This wasn't like some light tapping. This was bang, 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 bang. And uh, I was home alone. And I sort of, I had a window in my door and I sort of looked through the window and it was one of my tenants who had gotten the three-day notice, uh, gotten drunk, looked looked up my home in the public record. So I stopped doing that too. And wanted to come and tell me what they thought of me for trying to actually make them pay the rent that they had promised to pay. And it, I mean, it felt like a personally dangerous situation for a woman home alone at 11 o'clock at night to have somebody drunk show up at their door and start yelling at them. So that's, that's one issue. I think, I think uh, just as commonly or, you know, more commonly folks who do this are trying to walk the line between being, you know, between, the rapport that you want to keep with your tenants and being the hard-nosed business person. So they will often say, I am the property manager. They just they just hold themselves out to any potential tenants, current tenants, as the property manager. And then when the tenant doesn't pay, uh, they're able to call and say, listen, you, you need to pay. And, you know, I I understand that things are tough for you. And I understand that your you got your hours got cut back at work but you know I'm the property manager I have got to do what my you know what the owner tells me to do you know I can't I can't get fired I mean I'd give you more time but you understand that it's important to the owner that they actually get paid and it's not me so that you know that's up to you does that does that feel like lying to you or does that feel like keeping a keeping a safe space between you and the tenant that's up to you. So in that case, of course, you would put property manager on your business card uh, if if that was what you were trying to accomplish. I, I can't think of any other situation in which you would care whether somebody receiving your business card knew that you were the owner of the business or not. I mean, sometimes people give themselves <laughs> give themselves cute titles like they're the owner, but they call themselves the acquisition specialist or the uh, fund manager or something like that. And that those are just, you know, 20 story titles for a home-based business is what they are. 
Now, your other question uh, had to do with, I, I had mentioned at the beginning of the show that Cincinnati Rhea was doing a one-day program on this upcoming Saturday for newbies, and that one of the questions that would be answered would be at what point it was appropriate to get an entity, to create an entity, meaning pay for, set up, file, all of that sort of stuff. The answer to that is a little... I have to preface it by saying without knowing what your specific financial and liability situation was, that that would be an impossible question to answer. In fact, at, at the, at the seminar on Saturday, there's going to be an attorney (laughs) there who is answering that question. Um, If you were a doctor, Angela, if you were, if you were in a, in a profession that, that already had a pretty good um, chance that you were going to get sued at some point, I would say you better create an entity before you buy your first property because that puts that legal wall between the properties and what you do otherwise. And it puts the wall in both directions, right? If, if, if a tenant gets mad at you and decides that they, they're going to come after you because they know you're a doctor and you must be making all kinds of money, uh, it, 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 it set up correctly, that entity will protect your personal assets from things that happen in the business. If you are just getting started and you haven't actually done any deals yet, generally, uh, most attorneys would say that you don't you don't maybe have to have a business entity uh, until you have proven to yourself that you're actually gonna. You're actually going to do this. You're actually going to go buy some properties. I mean, rental properties ideally would go straight into an entity. They would never be owned by you and then be moved into the entity. Uh, wholesale deals, you know, they don't they don't have to be done in an entity necessarily. It's more of a having an LLC or something is more of a tax saving measure uh, than it is a a liability shield in the cases of some businesses. But again, it's got to do with you and your personal situation. So uh, the other things the new real estate entrepreneurs need, which you also asked about, uh, business cards, uh, mail, by which I assume you mean a place that mail could be delivered, like a P.O. box or something like that, uh, phone numbers and other things. That is a, that's a really good question. We actually probably should do a whole show on nothing but that because that is the business part of the business. A lot of the education that we get is around the tactical part of the business. It's around how do I wholesale or how do I um, fix up a house or how do I screen tenants. And it's not so much about this really practical part of should I have my calls come to my cell phone? And if I do, should I change my voicemail message so that it doesn't say, hi, you've reached Matt, Vina and Minion. Woof leave a message when someone's calling to sell me their, you know, $100,000 asset. Uh, So I'll just take the ones that you uh, mentioned here. Business cards, good idea. Don't order 10,000 of them uh, because you may decide to change what you, what you want to say. You may actually change your phone number later. You might um, uh, 
decide that there's better messages you could put on your business card, but you can get free business cards. You can get, you know, 100 or 200 free business cards from a lot of uh, places out there. So yeah, I get a business card. On the other hand, don't spend two days designing that business card. You know, your name, your phone number, your email address, the fact that you buy houses is enough to start with. Don't, don't, I see people like procrastinating by spending too much time on things like business cards. Uh, in terms of mail, if you don't want, if you don't want the potential of people showing up at your home address, you should probably get a P.O. box or a, um, a mail box from one of those companies that does that. Uh, almost across the board now, you can use the street address of the place. So if it's a post office, even the post office let you do this, uh, you can use the street address of the post office. And then instead of saying P.O. box, you know, 24601, they let you say 123 Easy Street Suite 24601 so that it looks like you're not operating out of a P.O. box. Uh, also, um, in terms of phones, that's that's actually a, a really good question and topic because the phone thing turns out to be harder to figure out than a lot of people think. Um, the easiest solution to how how am I going to take business calls is to buy a second phone number uh, from one of the companies that does that. There are many out there and it'll cost you about 29 bucks a month and it will come with all sorts of cool bells and whistles. For instance, you will be able to forward that phone number any place you want to send it with without any caller knowing that that's what's happening. So for right now, you could forward it to your cell phone or your home phone if you still have such a thing. Uh, later on, when you get an answering service, you could forward it there. When you get a virtual assistant, you could forward it there. And when you get a full-time acquisitions coordinator, you could forward it there. And it's always the same phone number. You never have to change your phone number. Uh, those numbers typically will keep track of who has called you. So if you get a hang-up, you get a call that you know must be from a seller because that's the only place that you put that phone number is on postcards to sellers and that seller hangs up you can actually call them back because it will have captured their number it also allows you to do things like um, keep track of how many incoming calls you're getting if you have a virtual assistant or similar and you're wondering how how to tell if they're returning calls you will be able to see how many calls came in and how many of them were answered versus how many were forwarded to voicemail or something of that nature now I know the next question I'm going to get is going to be about Google voice numbers because those are free although occasionally Google uh, threatens to start charging for them. And I have had mixed experience with that. Um, it is often the case that when I call somebody with a Google voice number, instead of getting the message that I'm supposed to get, because these are usually they're forwarded to your cell phone or something, instead of getting the message, hi, it's Angela. If you're calling about a house for sale, please leave your name and number and I'll get back to you right away. I get the Google voice subscriber you're trying to reach is not available please call back later. I don't even have the opportunity to, to leave a message. So uh, it's free. That's the good part. The bad part is um, a lot of people find that if they test it multiple times, they test their own phone number multiple times, it seems to only work part of the time. 
and I have found some of these other services to be that you have to pay for to be extraordinarily reliable. They always, always, always um, come in. Other things, uh, I, I think, Angela, that the most important thing that a new investor needs to be focused on is finding the deal. Doing too much setup, doing too much... Well, I've got to get all my office supplies and I've got to get my desk organized and I've got to get uh, my phone number and I've got to get my company name and I've got to get my logo and I've got to I've got to take my classes to become a real estate agent. You can go six, eight months, a year just getting ready to get ready and none of that's going to buy you a deal. Other than getting your basic education in place, the next most important thing you can do is go out and start finding deals. And for for somebody who's in a wholesale type business, something where you need to generate multiple deals in a year in order to um, stay in business and support yourself and make good money, that's going to mean doing some marketing. For folks who are maybe looking to acquire one or two rentals, so it's not it's not as big a deal that you process as many leads, that might mean going out and getting a real estate agent who's investor friendly and who understands what you're looking for and can show you properties. Because man, half of what you learn about how to evaluate a property, about how to how to price it, about how to make an offer, how to negotiate, it comes by doing it. So all of this other stuff is great, but please balance it with actually being out in the field, looking at houses, talking to sellers, making offers, uh, comping houses, you know, all of those sorts of things that have to happen in order for you to, um, in order for you to succeed in what you're trying to do. Uh, Just got a somewhat, um, I assume, joking uh, email from a listener who says, but what about all of these companies that keep calling me and trying to sell me Nevada corporations because something really bad will happen if I don't buy one? (laughs) Yeah, I stick with with what I had to say. Uh, Last question, just got a couple of seconds left here in the show. Tina says, do you foresee housing prices continuing to go up from your experience? I want to buy rental properties and I'm not sure if this is a good time to buy. Tina, don't try to time the market. This is a good a time to buy as any other time. Prices are a little higher than they have been. Rental demand is way up and so are rents. Uh, Waiting never, never helps you. You you got to know what a good deal looks like. You got to buy the right deal, but there's not going to be a better time than right now. And even if we have a recession this year and house prices slip down 5%, if you only paid 70 cents on the dollar to start with, so what? Now you paid 75 cents on the dollar and in two years, the prices will recover and go back up again. Get trained on what a good rental property looks like. Don't try and time the market. Go out and find a good deal now. You've been listening to Question and Answer Week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. Thanks to all of the listeners who sent in these great questions today. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.